Last week when we uh, read from Nehemiah, we just saw the people gathered together for a five or six hour service, right? Where God read, where the, uh, the priests uh, read the scriptures to the people. They had smaller groups of Levites spreading out among the people to explain it to them, to translate it to them, because the, these folks spoke Aramaic and the, the scriptures that they read were, uh, <clears throat> were written in Hebrew. And so what we're going to see today uh, at, uh, is the result of, uh, of that service, of that time, of them uh, reading uh, this, the scripture together. So in light of that, let me pray, and then uh, I'll read from Nehemiah. Let's pray. Father, uh, we come to you today uh, thanking you for your goodness and your power. We're going to talk today, and this uh, text, a very familiar text for uh, folks, um, that uh, about joy, and we confess to you that uh, joy is in short supply uh, in our hearts and lives. And so uh, as we think through this issue today and we think about um, what it means uh, for people um, who uh, struggle and live in a broken uh, world uh, that's often dark, um, to have real joy, I pray that you would, would help us uh, to do that today. Lord, we ask these things in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. So Nehemiah 8, verses 9 through 12. Uh, text is in the bulletin and also up on the screens behind me. So just remember, they're at the end of a five or six hour time of looking at the scriptures. And then verse 9 picks up with, And Nehemiah, who was the governor, and Ezra the priest and scribe, and the Levites who taught the people, said to all the people, This day is holy to the Lord your God. Do not mourn or weep. For all the people wept as they heard the words of the law. And then he said to them, go your way, eat the fat, and drink sweet wine, and send portions to anyone who has nothing ready, for this day is holy to our Lord. And do not be grieved, for the joy of the Lord is your strength. So the Levites calmed all the people, saying, be quiet, for this day is holy, do not be grieved. And all the people went their way to eat and drink, and to send portions, and to make great rejoicing, because they had understood the words that were declared to them. And so I, I recognize here we are as, we, as we've spent the last five or six months working through uh, Ezra and Nehemiah. Here we are uh, in the midst of a pandemic, in the midst of a fractious uh, political and social situation. And in God's providence, here we are, we're reading a text uh, that has the famous verse in it, the joy of the Lord is our strength. And I think for many of us, we're probably thinking, you know, uh, I, don't, I don't have a lot of joy. And in fact, if you come across somebody who has some joy, you might be suspicious of them, right? Like, what medicine are you taking? Or what, uh, what, what, what you know, are you just clueless? Are you just unaware? Don't you see what's happening um, you know, I, it, it's, uh, it's amazing, right? So as, as we look at this this morning, I think it's, it's important for us to, to kind of unpack this and, and, and arrive at a couple of things. And one of the things that you have to, to see about the text, and one of the glorious things about uh, this text about joy and the exhortation to have joy is, in the end, 
Joy is not about us. In the end, joy is about the work of God in us and how that work of God in us leads us not just to be happy, not just to feel good, not to just have to be optimistic or hopeful, certainly, but in the end, to be able to serve. Because I want you to understand that one of the reasons why we are largely ineffective in ministering to people is because we don't have joy. Um, and we'll see as we work, work through this uh, text uh, why that is. Uh, and, and how that works itself out. So, Scott, go ahead and put my notes up there. So, what happens to the people of God after a five-hour reading and teaching session from the Word of God? Well, one of the things that we have to see about that is, is that as the people have gathered there, uh, they're probably not as familiar with the Word of God as you are. They, they, they probably, it's not nearly as accessible, but remotely as, as accessible as it is to us. And so they hear the Word of God, and they're cut. They're, they're cut to the quick. They're like, we are sinners. We are broken. This, all these things in the law, suddenly you come to grips with the fact like, oh, no, I, you know, I, how, how can God have anything to do with me? How can he love me? How can he want a relationship with me when all I can see and all I hear from this reading of the scripture is that I'm broken, that I'm a sinner, that I've rebelled, that, that, that even, even when, when I wasn't willfully breaking the, the law of God, I was cluelessly breaking the law of God, right? And so as they, are, as they read that, it's an important thing for us to to think about, right? Uh, and and there's not, it's not a totally inappropriate reaction when the, when the word of God is presented to us. As Jeremiah says in Jeremiah 23, 29, is, is not my word like fire, declares the Lord, and like a hammer that breaks the rock in pieces. Now, uh, young pastors, young seminary students, when they first get uh, into a pulpit, they first begin to preach, they think that's their job is to preach the Word of God in such a way that it burns people up and breaks them into little pieces. Right? So that, you know, I am, I am all about this and I, 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 I get intense in my presentation and, and I want people to hear and to know that they're sinners. And that is a good thing. That's not necessarily a bad thing. The, it becomes a terrible thing, though, is if we leave the people as ashes and broken. Because God never does that. Ever. That is not his intent. And so, so what, we, what we see here is they, they, need, they, they need to go through this period. They need to lament their sin. They need to see it for what it is. They, they need to come to grips to that, with that. <clears throat> they need the opportunity to repent. They need to have the opportunity to feel the pressure of what it means to be convicted. But God doesn't put us in a situation where he puts us under the microscope to convict us of our sin, simply to, to wear us down, to beat us down, to, uh, to rob us of any sense of, of approach to him or rob us of any sense of relationship with him or relationship with each other. Uh, back in, um, uh, in November, I uh, started reading the book Dark Clouds, Deep Mercy. I picked it up. I don't know where I saw it, but I, I picked it up and I started reading it. 
And I thought, you know, I need to take the staff through this book uh, starting in the, after Christmas uh, because I think, I think some sad things will happen in 2020. <laughs> uh, which uh, uh, was nothing like... Uh, 2020 has been... Uh, has been uh, I mean, sad is hardly a word, uh, a worthwhile word to describe it. I just thought we would have some sad things happen in the church, and this would be a good way for us to minister, to have a, a, a sense of the, the, the biblical uh, uh, discipline of lament. You need to lament. But the point of the Christian life is not an ongoing lament. You've got to get through lament. You've got to see your sin for what it is. You've got to repent. You've got to turn your back on it. You've got to see how terrible it is, how odious it is, and, and how without the work of God in your life, you know, you, you're, you're, you're a wreck, no doubt. But that's not where God leads, leaves us. And, it, and, and just to help you come to grips with that is, if that is where God wanted us to stay, and that is the ideal situation for his people then heaven is way out of whack because what do we read about what God does for us when we arrive at heaven is he wipes away every tear. That the point of heaven is there's no more sadness, no more sin, only joy. Now for some of us to hear that, that there's only joy, you're not going to know what to do when you get there um, because we've had so little joy, we've experienced so little joy uh, in our lives here. And so what is, what is this going to look like? How is this, this going to work? Next slide. So, so what, what, what we have here is once the people are undone, uh, Nehemiah looks and he sends the priests out and he says to them to calm down, to, 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 to uh, fix uh, great food, uncork the wine, and have some joy. Right? Because that's the point. The point that God is at work in us and the point of what the gospel is, is to do for us is not just to make us better people, not just to, to uh, make us uh, smarter or live better lives, or even in the end simply just to live lives that please God. While all of those things are worthwhile, the, the point of the gospel, the point of the work of God for us is for something bigger and more beautiful than that. And it's something that we often miss. The thing that, that we were made for, the thing that we were redeemed for, is joy. And that's so hard for us to believe, isn't it? Well, how do, how do I arrive uh, at uh, that conclusion? Well, um, one of the things that, that one from the Bible and one from our doctrinal statement is that the end of our holiness and that the end of this work that God is doing in our lives, the end of the, the struggle is to be joy. How do I know that? Well, Jesus, in his prayer in Gethsemane, remember his prayer in Gethsemane? He, he goes and he prays and his prayer is so intense that, that he sweats drops of blood. I mean, it is the most intense uh, struggle and prayer uh, maybe ever, but this is what he says uh, in, in, in the prayer to his father. Now I'm coming to you, and these things I speak in the world 
that they, and that they as us, may have my joy fulfilled in themselves. So even as Jesus is facing the specter of the cross, facing the the specter of ultimate rejection, facing the specter of death, he recognizes that he is doing this not just to make us better people, not just to scoop up some of us and get us to heaven, but for the purpose of that the joy he experiences, that the joy he has in his relationship with his Father, the joy that he has in his glory would be shared with us. I have given them your word, and the world has hated them because they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. And for their sake, I consecrate myself, that they may also be sanctified in truth. Do you see the connection here? That, that, that sanctification, that holiness, that, that change in us is not just that we get morally better, but that we experience joy in the midst of a world that is our enemy, that is against us, that hates us. So, so what is, is to happen here is as we walk through this world, what the gospel does for us is it doesn't just transform us into to, to better people, better husbands, better wives, better kids, better employees, better employers. What it does for us is it changes us from people who are turned in on ourselves, who are uh, uh, live in a, in a very small kind of dark place to have some joy. To be able, even as you hear and are convicted by the word of God, to be able to say, Yes, my sin is great, but the love of God for me in Jesus Christ is immensely greater. Right? Um, I've, I've, I've used uh, this uh, um, illustration before. When, when 12 years ago, when Marty was diagnosed with cancer, you know, it rocked our world. Uh, um, and, and I remember we, when we got the diagnosis, we brought our three kids and they were teenagers and we sat them down in the living room, which we never go in the living room. And so we were trying to signal to them like, hey, pay attention. Um, so we got in the living room. We said, we want you guys to know mom has cancer. And this is what, you know, we're going to have to do. You know, she's going to have some surgery. She's going to have, you know, a blue million radiation treatments, all of that kind of stuff. So you guys need to know that. You know what their first question was? Is great. I love my kids. Are you going to die? And we're like, no, we don't think so. And they're like, okay, can I go watch ESPN now? <laughs> now, that uh, I, I, I tell you that because I think in some ways that's not a totally inappropriate response. And let me explain that. You see, what we do and what typically comes our way with difficulty and sin and brokenness is what they end up becoming for us are joy robbers. They steal our joy. When Marty met with the elders and they prayed over her and laid hands over her, they asked her, what do you want us to pray for? She did not say she wanted to be healed, which still offends me. She said that she did not want her joy to be stolen by cancer. 
Well, for many of us, we think, well, it would be appropriate to have your joy stolen by something, right? But the problem with that is if we allow sin, brokenness, even death itself, to put us in such a dark place that there is no experience of relationship and fellowship with our Father in heaven, no sense of relationship and fellowship with our fellow believers, no sense of relationship and fellowship and even hope and joy in the midst of darkness, then honestly, what good is your gospel? Even when Paul speaks to the church at Thessalonica about their dead brothers and sisters, he says, I want you to grieve in hope. Right? So, no matter how serious we may be or how serious we may, may, may approach the world, we miss the point of what Jesus came to live and die for us if we do not understand that the transformation that Jesus seeks in us is to turn us into people not only who are good and holy, but people who are good and holy and full of joy in the midst of a broken world. Our larger catechism uh, uh, says this, what is the chief and highest end of man? So what is the, how, how do you know that you're really acting and living as someone created in the image of God? Well, you know that when you understand that you're here to glorify God and fully to enjoy him forever, right? So how do we get at this? Well, the, the first thing to see is that the source of this joy is rooted in promise. When these people hear the word of God read to them, when they hear the law read to them, what are they reminded of? They are reminded that they are the children of Abraham and that their fathers and their forefathers and their four, four, forefathers were broken sinners who often and, and regularly uh, transgressed the law of God. And yet here they were, hearing the word of God in Jerusalem, that their God was still faithful, that he was still for them, that he was still with them, and that he had not ultimately rejected them, and that he would keep his promise to be a God to them and to draw them and to change them into his people. So, so the, the, the very, but Nehemiah wants the people to understand, yes, our history is a checkered history, but our God is great and our God is love and he makes a way for us, Right? Secondly, what we need to see is that this joy is rooted in fellowship. The fellowship here is that, that we understand that because what Jesus Christ has done by living and dying and rising again for us, we are known and we know our God. And that is what we were made for. That is the energy that drives this joy. But not only that, we read here that the people were to gather together. You know, go, go back to your homes, invite people over, eat some good food, and drink some good wine. Um, we, uh, I, I just think it's so funny that you know, man's chief and highest end is to glorify God and fully enjoy him forever. You know, that, that was written by a bunch of Puritans. And what do we know about the Puritans? That they were deathly afraid that somebody somewhere was going to have a good time. Right? <laughs> right? Did you know that uh, one of the earliest Presbyterians, 
um, founder of the Reformation, John Calvin, when he negotiated his salary uh, with the city of Geneva for his ministry, did you know one of the things that he included in his negotiation for his salary? I hope this isn't offensive to you. 250 gallons of wine a year. <laughs> now, I don't think he drank all that himself, right? He was sharing that. The church was going to get some benefit of that too, right? Um, but we think of him as such a dour, sourpuss guy. He was French. Right? Did he have a hard life? Yes. His children died in infancy. He died a relatively young man. But that was not all that the work of God was in and for and through him. It was to enjoy the fellowship of your creator and your redeemer and to enjoy fellowship with your people. Now, that's hard in this day and age of the pandemic. Um, but we perhaps need that now maybe more than ever. That one of the, I mean, the wisdom of, of Nehemiah and Ezra here with the people is, as they're overcome by sadness and they're overcome by fear and they're overcome by the guilt of their sin, go and eat some good food with your friends. Right? The source of this joy is also rooted in sovereignty. And this is one of the things that is so profound for us and one of the things that, that leads to lament but ultimately must lead us through that. And that's this, that when we walk through a world of darkness and we walk through the valley of the shadow of death, how is it that we can, can, can do that? We, why do we fear no evil? Because our God is the chief shepherd. Our God has a rod and a staff. Our God is the sovereign one in control. And as he leads us through mystifying and terrifying times, the truth of that is he is in control. None of these things come our way out of his hand. None of this stuff catches him off guard. And in the end, his sovereignty is joined with mercy and grace and love. And his sovereignty is exercised not just as a matter of power, but as a matter of grace, as a matter of love. And so he orders the affairs of the world to happen the way they do for the benefit of his people. And so whatever else may be going on in our world right now, we know that if our ultimate end is joy, that God's at work in us and in the world to lead us ultimately to a place of joy. Now it's mysterious and that's hard and that is, that is challenging. But if I didn't believe that, what would I do? If you don't believe that, how do you make it? Right? One of the, one of the things that uh, I, uh, I, 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 uh, I am wired such that, at least initially, I like bitterness. <laughs> I like to be angry. And I like to blame. Do you like to blame you know, if anything ever goes wrong, just come and ask me about it, and I'll tell you who's responsible. I love that. That's my gift. That's one of my gifts. Uh, we took down our deck, and we're redoing our backyard, and this fall, this past fall, I 
I worked really hard to plant some grass in my backyard. And uh, it did not look that great to begin with, and so every, it's, a number of my children kind of made fun of it, like, uh, Dad, this is embarrassing. The neighbors are going to be concerned. Well, it grew, and in uh, April, May, and June, I had beautiful green grass in my backyard. And then we went 22 days of 90-plus degrees weather with very little rain which gave me an opportunity to say to God, uh, why aren't you making it rain? What is wrong with you? Don't you know I planted this grass? And don't you know that I am too cheap to spend wa money on water for this grass, so you need to make it rain? And because you're not making it rain, I blame you. You need to do better. So it's rain, you know. I would, you know, I would... Uh, I have weird ways of, of, of thinking about this. I grew up on a farm, so rain really is, you know, it matters to us. It's not a, a, a um, you know, an interruption to your plans. It's, it's a way that God gives us life. Well, um, it's finally rained some here lately. And it dawned on me uh, yesterday morning when I got up uh, to think, you know, I really blamed God when it didn't rain. Now it's rain. Have you, th have you thought about saying thank you? Have you thought about being grateful for that? That this sovereign God in his timing and in his way has sent the rain. So I think what, what happens to us is, uh, and, and there's real joy in that. That's a real reminder of the goodness and the grace of God. But what happens to us sometimes is we act as if things are happening around us that God gets to blame, and he never or seldom blesses, right? When in fact, what we hear and what we read in the promise of the scripture is that he uses his sovereign power for our good to bless us. And then lastly, the source of this joy is forgiveness. And that's so important, right? Because these people are broken by their sin. They are broken by the reality of their, their need for not only righteousness, but their need to be forgiven and to be restored in relationship to their God. And so, so one of the things that is so profound about that is we know, you know, that when you have sinned against someone you love and you have that broken relationship, that when they take that upon themselves to forgive you and to restore that relationship, how, what a joyful thing that is. And so what Nehemiah and Ezra want the people to understand is if all you hear from the word of God is your sin, your brokenness, your, your, uh, 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 you know, your unworthiness, and you never hear about the love of God and the forgiving grace and the forgiving shed blood of Jesus Christ for you, it's no wonder you have no joy. Or perhaps you have no joy because you really don't think you haven't gone through what these people have gone through, and that is a recognition and a realization of that without the forgiveness of Jesus Christ, you're dead. But they see it, they hear it, and so as they come to grips with the fact that they're sinners and they see the love of God for them, it leads them, it leads Nehemiah and Ezra to say, calm down, throw a party, because your God forgives you at the cost of the life of his own son, right? 
So what happens to people who are truly joyful, not just avoidant or clueless? And this is one of the things, this is one of the things that's buried in this text uh, that, you'll, that you'll miss if you're not careful. Because what they say is, when, when Nehemiah says, do not be grieved for the joy of the Lord is your, is your strength, why is that? He says, eat the fat, drink sweet wine, and send portions to anyone who has nothing ready. Verse 12, it says, and send portions. In other words, listen, one of the reasons why you're ineffective in loving other people is not because you're lazy or not because uh, you're, you're clueless. It's because you have no joy. Joyful people have energy. Joyful people have strength. Sad people, depressed people, don't have much joy, don't, don't have much strength, don't have much ability to go and love other people. That's one of the reasons why we fail so often is uh, we're, we're, we're unable to do that. I mean, think about this for a second. Um, I, I, one of the things that I have realized about myself over the last few months is, and this, uh, bear with me, is I really miss sports. Man, I miss it. And I, you know, I'm, I, I, I think we, you know, I, living uh, here in Virginia, you know, with a, a lot of the, the folks that I worship with here, sports can be an idol. Not saying it's not, but boy, do I miss it. I miss it a lot. And so I was so excited this week to be able to watch the NBA actually start to play basketball. But it's weird. It's so weird because they're in this gym and there's very few people in there and they pipe in crowd sounds, with, with, but they pipe in crowd sounds even when there are crowds because you don't want to hear what these guys are saying to each other. It would be bad if we, if we heard what they were saying to each other. But one of the things that I noticed as I watched a little bit of the NBA this week is there's these screens around the court with Zoom people watching the game with their faces on there. And that is terrible. It's so terrible. You know why it's terrible? Because when you go to a live sporting event and you're sitting in a seat next to a stranger who's wearing the same jersey you're wearing, when something good happens, they're your best friend. You're hugging them, right? You ever see people do that? Hug total strangers? Even maybe kiss them. Right? It's so gross, right? Or share a hot dog with them or something. Anyway, so, so the, the fact is, what joy does in that is it builds a sense of fellowship and it energizes us to look and see other people. Well, one of the reasons why we are often ineffective in our ability, particularly to care for the poor, to care for the needy, is not because we're, we're, we're selfish, we certainly are that, but we are so turned in on ourselves, so uh, 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 bereft of any kind of joy within ourselves, we have no energy, we have no strength to be able to love anybody else. The joy of the Lord is your strength. That is why... God, the ultimate end of the gospel is for joy so that we would be strengthened and energized then to pass that joy on to love others, to care for others. And so what's happening here is Nehemiah says, look, the joy of the Lord is your strength. Go and throw a party and give some of your food and wine to those that don't have any. Celebrate. 
expand the celebration, expand the, the, the party to include those who don't have it. Make your joy contagious for others, right? It's, this, it's a hard time, isn't it? Uh, when uh, after the first service, some, some folks were saying, wow, thanks for talking to us about joy this morning. I needed to hear that. And I had to say to him, I'm like, well, you need to pray for me that I'll believe it. Right? Um, the cross is bigger. The empty tomb is bigger than the inconvenience and the suffering of the pandemic. The cross and the empty tomb are bigger and more powerful than the divisions and the anger and the injustice that we experience. Do you believe that? If that's true, then we have reason, even uh, more than a reason. Uh, we have um, a commandment to live in light of that. Do you believe that? The gospel's still true. Our God is still powerful to save. And that is the source of our hope and our joy. We need to ask him to help us to believe that. Let me pray. Lord, we uh, come to you today and we are much like these people who are overwhelmed by sin and darkness and sadness. And um, we need someone like Nehemiah to say, no, 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 no. The, the, the ultimate end of this is that God has made a provision for your sin. Lord, help us to, do, to see that and to believe that. Not in some kind of giddy, silly way, but in a settled way to know uh, that our God reigns uh, and that uh, he loves uh, and that he provides. And Lord, I pray that as you work joy into our hearts and lives, that it would move us to pour that joy out into the hearts and lives of others. Lord, the joy, your joy, is our strength. Thank you for dying and rising again to strengthen us in this way. We ask this in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Uh, let's confess our sins together uh, using this uh, confession from the Book of Common Prayer. Pray with me. Most merciful God, we confess that we have sinned against you in thought, word, and deed by what we have done and by what we have left undone. We have not loved you with our whole heart. We have not loved our neighbors as ourselves. We are truly sorry and we humbly repent. For the sake of your Son, Jesus Christ, have mercy on us and forgive us. Amen.
Brothers and sisters, hear these words of encouragement from the lips of your Savior, Jesus Christ. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. 